double up the Devils and earn a huge two points in the Western Conference playoff race. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. A few minutes later than normal, but don't worry, we've got you covered. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host as always, Canucks insider Thomas Dranch. You can read his work at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 6-3. Fun game. Really fun. At Rogers Arena, Canucks come out with a big two points. A little bit of a pond hockey feel, eh? I feel like there were 85 grade-A chances both ways last night. It was great to watch. And, I mean, the Canucks obviously had some star performances. We'll get into uh, Bo Horvat in particular throughout the course of this game. I also got to say, if you're just, you know, it's always easier to appreciate a great player on the opposing team when your team wins. That was certainly the case, uh, I think, for Jack Hughes. <laughs> Jack Hughes put in a excellent, excellent performance in the defeat for New Jersey. So you had players doing star things on the Canucks, players doing star things on the Devils, and yeah, just a ton of fun in that game. And of course, uh, for our listeners, always good to see the Canucks come out on top in that fashion. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts about the game last night in. Uh, We'll read them throughout the course of the show. So before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty of what went on last night. I want to talk about Bo Horvat. I want to talk about uh, Niels Hoaglander a little bit as well. Uh, just to kind of get you caught up on where things stand on the out-of-town scoreboard. So last night, the Dallas Stars lost to the Leafs. Vegas lost, although that does mean the Winnipeg Jets win. But Vegas loses again. They're fifth in a row now. Edmonton won, despite doing their very, very best to Edmonton it up against the Detroit Red Wings. They are so funny. Lead. The Edmonton Oilers are so funny. It's incredible. They are they are the real roller coaster. I like, could, I couldn't believe it when I checked and saw that game was like. Five. If you think the Canucks are the roller coaster, oh. they're like the oh. kit. They're like um. What what's the what's the fun little uh, small roller coaster? It's called My- Mighty Mouse or Crazy yeah, Mouse. Yeah, I think at, it was. Uh, I think it was Mighty Mouse. Although that, I think they've removed it actually because it that was, was dangerous yes, as anything. That, that was, was by far the scariest yes, one. That one scared me way more than the coaster as a kid. Hundred percent. But you look at that one and it's like, oh man, that's a roller coaster. And then you look at the coaster and it's like, oh boy, oh, no, like no, 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 no. if you think the Canucks yeah. are a roller coaster. The Edmonton Oilers are the greatest roller coaster ever. Like, it's incredible. They're so funny. I'm like, really? I really appreciate their comedic stylings. Yes, exactly. I really, I, man, when I saw that one was 5-5, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to do it. They didn't. They ended up pulling it out, but I really thought it was going to happen. See, again, my jinx powers, man, because I said on broadcast... During the during the intermission, right, which was which was a little late because the Oilers were finishing their second period. We yeah. were a little so we were a little early because we were waiting on the preempt. And I said, like, oh, you know, the thing that the Canucks have that the Golden Knights and the Oilers don't is goaltending. And then I come, I like don't even get back to my seat and see it's five five. Just incredible. I know. Unbelievable. But anyways, they do pull out the two points. So, again, just to catch you up on where things stand in that Western Conference playoff race. So, by points percentage, by points percentage, the Canucks have surpassed by the narrowest of margins, by the narrowest of margins, the Vegas Golden Knights. However, they still trail both Edmonton and Dallas in the race for a final playoff spot. Although, interestingly, because I was saying on the air yesterday, Dranser, that I was much more locked into the race in the Pacific Division and trying to track down both Vegas and Edmonton for the Canucks. But by points percentage, because of Dallas's loss and Edmonton's win last night, uh, the Canucks are actually slightly closer to Dallas. So that starts to become a little bit more of a realistic possibility uh, for the Canucks. Dallas still has the three games in hand. 
The Canucks do play Dallas twice more down the stretch, though, as well. Dallas is controlling play really well. Dallas is a serious threat, right? Dallas is a serious threat. At this point, I think you're locked in on Edmonton and and Vegas, for me anyway. And Dallas is like 58% expected goals the last 10 games. Um, they continue to control play even without um, Miro Haskinen. And, yeah, they lost to Toronto. But, I mean, what are you going to do when you're facing Calgary Cal- and that? Yeah. The, the Toronto, the the Toronto Maple Leafs are incredible. Like, the savior. Are, yeah, the savior. I mean, honestly, though, goaltending is so weird that that could totally, like, I believe that that could be a plot line. Not, not forever, but could he go on a Spencer Martin-like two-month run? You know, it's goaltending's so there was a tweet about goaltenders like you, you pay a lot for a goaltender and they spend the season eating glue and then it's like eating like consuming paste. And it's like, you know, meanwhile, meanwhile, some guy you've never heard of comes up and becomes, you know, Veg Melka or whatever. And yeah. he's just like stealing games from the Colorado Avalanche for no reason. It's uh, goaltending is so volatile. It's incredible. Well, I think uh, that's the value of Thatcher Demko. Though. I think that's Merrick... the value that the Canucks have here yep. where it's like you look at you look at Vegas. And it's like night to night. They're also controlling play at an elite rate. It just doesn't matter. They're at an 888 even uh, five on five save percentage the last ten games. Ninety five percent PDO at the worst, or ninety five percent, ninety five PDO the worst possible time. Fifty five plus percent control of expected goals. Right. I, I, at some point, you'd think they're, they're going to be able to put together enough complete games with enough healthy bodies that that starts to matter. But they're kind of running out of time, right? Like you're you're at this moment where sustainability doesn't matter so much as just getting, as it, results. Done, getting results. it done. So I'd still bet on the Vegas Golden Knights figuring it out to some extent, by which I mean being pretty good. But pretty, being pretty good is not going to get it done with where they put themselves. They need to be great, and they need to be great beginning immediately. Uh, the other funny dynamic is to pay attention to is with gold, the Vegas Golden Knights fading, right? They play the Winnipeg Jets again this week, right? The Jets are... Pretty scary. Yep. You're talking about a team with a great goalie, right? Ehlers is healthy now. Kyle Connor is the best goal scorer outside of Austin Matthews in this league, um, in my opinion. You know, I, I know Ovi is still Ovi, but, like, Kyle Connor's up there. He's in the conversation. Um, you get, uh, you know, that, that it's, it's going to be an absolute knife fight. Like, you've got all these teams bunched up. They all have different things that you like about them, right? Like, I love Edmonton's top end and their power play. I hate their goaltending. I love Dallas's ability to shut down games and control things five on five, but I don't know that they have enough offense. Uh, You know, the Canucks, I think, are playing tremendous hockey, but I still look at that defense, and I still look at the chances they gave up against the New Jersey Devils, and I go, oh, boy, like, at some point, is gravity coming for them? You know, I look at Vegas, and the injuries are – piling up but they have no goaltending and then you look at Winnipeg and it's like they're pretty far back but are they they're not even that far back anymore it, it's the Winnipeg is an interesting comparison with Vancouver for me where you totally. can see the flaws in the roster but they have the goalie and they have the superstar players or the star level players you yeah. mentioned with Connor and Ehlers so okay can those guys swing a few games for you right and as you said it doesn't have to be sustainable when you get down to talking about 20 games yeah if you get on a hot run for eight games well that that's a big big deal that's almost half of your remaining games and that's the kind of thing that can boost you into the playoffs so it has become a really, really fascinating playoff race in the Western Conference. And, yeah, that game last night was a ton of fun. And you just you just hope purely – I mean, as just somebody who enjoys watching hockey and who enjoys the spectacle of it, that the Canucks can hang around and keep having more big games like that one as they try to chase down uh, the one of the final spots in the Western Conference playoff picture. 
So, last night specifically, let's get into it a little bit. And I think for me, the the story of that game was Bo Horvat to a certain extent, from a Canucks perspective. Or at least that's where I want to start our conversation. Bo Horvat, and I know you've been working on a story about this. I, I expect it'll be up either today or tomorrow at oh, the Athletic. It'll, it'll be up probably by the end of the show. Fantastic. Awesome. So, I don't want to spoil too much because uh, I want people to go check out your piece at The Athletic as well. But it's fair to say that Bo Horvat has probably come under more criticism over the last two months than he has at any point in his career as a Vancouver Canuck up to this point. All of a sudden now, though, you look at it, and with two goals last night, Bo Horvat has 14 points in his last 10 games, including eight goals. And, okay, you can say that slapper he uncorked for his first one, that's a goal that an NHL goalie should stop. Nico Dawes doesn't stop him. It, stop it. It squeaks through and trickles over the line. But, man, that finish on the shorthanded goal in the third period to really, you know, add some insurance for the Canucks, that was just a sensational shot. And I really think people forget what a good shooter and what a good finisher Bo Horvat is. You go look at his stats. He's a 12.8% shooter in his career. He's never been below 10%, ever, never been below 10% as a shooter in his career in the NHL. He's up at 14.3%. Bo Horvat, I think, is reminding a lot of people right now why he has been such a popular player, why he has been looked at as an untouchable by this front office, or, or at least that's what we are given to understand, why he's been the captain to a certain extent as well. We heard Bruce Boudreau talk about uh, Horvat's performance as captain in his his availability last night. Bo Horvat is, you know, that was a, a kind of signature performance from him last night. And again, all of a sudden, 14 points in 10 games. He is putting a lot of that criticism that he faced just a few weeks ago. He, he's, he's putting it to bed in a big way right now. Well, so first of all, Bo Horvat, we, we, there's so much focus in this market on what Bo Horvat isn't, Right. He's not a Selkie nominee. It probably never will be. Uh, he's not a great penalty killer. No, he's not. Uh, although that was a tremendous shorthanded yes. goal last night. Um, and, of course, the other goal, the, the back-breaking goal that he scored on Nico Dawes, was also created by him turning a puck over. At, the Devils had all the momentum in that moment in the game. They'd been cycling in the Canucks' end for 45 seconds to a minute when Bo Horvat picked off Thomas Tatar, skated the other way, and blasted, literally left a hole, I think, in the chest of Nico Dawes. I hope he's doing okay. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, that, Bo Horvat, that was a call game moment. That was a call game moment. Um, Horvat's also, you know, so so he's not, he's never going to be Bergeron. And he's never, he's no. not an elite penalty killer. And he's not this fiery alpha physical piece or or player with that type of, you know, like attitude to him that JT Miller clearly is. And and people gravitate to that. They gravitate to the noisier uh, personality. Fans do anyway. But here's what Horvat is. Horvat is a quality, like 60-point-like clockwork pace guy. 60-point over 82-game pace guy. A really good finisher. A guy who can handle tough matchups regardless of what line mates you put him with. And yeah, he's not going to again, Patrice Bergeron it and come out like 55% expected goals, but he's not going to kill you. He's not going to come out massively in the red. He's, he's able to handle those tough matchups again, regardless of who you put him with. Um, he's not a great playmaker. He's not a, he's not a great distributor, but he's a tremendous goal scorer. He is a legitimate, like fringe top line quality, excellent second line quality piece with 
awesome offensive value, a unique ability to cope with and handle this marketplace, right? Which is a very eccentric marketplace. The most liberal, it is, it's the most liberal. Eccentric is such a good word. I love it. It's it's the most liberal market in hockey, right? So you have to be able to talk to social, talk about social issues. You think about Bo Horvat's comments after Don, Ch- what Don Cherry said. You think about how Bo Horvat has handled, um, you know, messaging around the pandemic, around vaccination, around you know uh, the club's outreach efforts to you know the South Asian community, um, you know the the LGBTQ community, the you know uh, way that they've honored. Uh, the victims of the residential school system. And Horvat's always the guy who speaks to that. And he never puts a foot out of place. He, and, and not only does he never put out of, put a foot out of place, he's genuine. He's authentic. He's got a conscience. Um, in London, in his community, there was a, uh, over the summer, there was a hate crime and Bo Horvat was on Instagram, um, you know, pushing back against hate, supporting, um, you know, the, the community, the uh, the South Asian community in his neck of the woods, too, in the summer. That, that wasn't him doing a job. That's just who Bo Horvat is. He's a good egg. And then here's the most important part. Whenever the stakes are highest, whenever the leverage runs highest, Horvat steps up. Horvat steps up. Okay, so you've got a clutch player who's a good person, who handles this market and has unique value in this market, and is a really, really good scoring center. Yeah, sounds like a good player. Now, I'm not saying he's above criticism, but when you look back at the arc of the last two months and you consider, you know, he goes through that eight games, well, he goes through that ten days away from the team dealing with COVID, comes back, he has three points in eight games, struggles massively. People are focused, oh, he's only on pace for 45 points. Like, oh, my goodness. From that point on, and first of all, my article with Horvat discusses at length the fact that he was shocked, and he uses the word shocked by the impact that COVID had on his lungs and his wind and his hockey sense. It's just his ability to see the game, think think through the game. Um, he also talks about the criticism that he endured and how he had to deal with it, like how difficult it was. He didn't delete his socials, but he wasn't on them, right? He had to reset himself personally. And over the last, it's 10 games? 10 games. Over the last 10 games, he got 14 points. Yeah, eight goals in that stretch too. Yeah, I mean, he's become Bo Horvat again. And, you know... The fact is, is that this is a really good player, a fantastic leader, and and I think he's un- I I think Horvat's underrated in this market in part because we've taken for granted just how good he's been for so long for a really bad team, and so new players come in and they're more exciting and they're less tarred with the failures that literally have nothing to do with them uh, from the last decade, and you know, I think that's sort of the situation that Horvat's found himself in where, where there's always the new hot, Oh, Besser, the flow. Oh, Pedersen, do his deeks, bro. And, and fair enough. I mean, Pedersen's a totally different caliber of player. Um, you know, JT Miller now on this incredible run. Why, why, how many times have we got the text in, into the inbox? Like, why is not, take, why is Bo Horvat a core piece and Miller is it? Or, or take the C from Horvat, give it to Miller. Oh, He's the real it. captain. Do you know who'd hate being the captain in Vancouver in terms of dealing with some of the media obligations that Horvat yeah. handles gracefully? JT Miller. Like, also, come on. have we not heard from enough NHL players that the captaincy is more public facing than inward facing, right? And that in every good team, there's going to be multiple leaders who. And, and they'll, sometimes it'll be one guy talking. Sometimes it'll be another guy talking. Well, like, we know that. That's a fact now. Think, think about the dynamic between Kessler and Henrik Sedin, right? There were, there were calls in this market for years that Kessler should be the captain of this team. No, he shouldn't have. Um, think about the Colorado Avalanche and the dynamic we all know between McKinnon, who's, like, wildly hard, 
hard driving and Landeskog, who's the good cop. Um, think about the dynamic that you've got, you know, even even in, uh, uh, do we have the uh, bell re- ready, Faber? <laughs> do we have the bell ready? Yeah, oh the, 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 the dynamic with the Florida Panthers, with Aaron Ekblad and, and Sasha Barkov, it's the same thing. So, you can hit it again. Come on. There we go. So, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes... Sometimes the alpha type of leadership that you do need to win in this league isn't necessarily the type of leadership you want to put the C on, to sow the C on. Yeah. Um, and here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. I, I did ask Bo Horvat, and this is going to be the hammer to the article that you can read um, at, at The Athletic shortly. It'll, it'll probably be up by the end of the lunch hour. Uh, but I asked Horvat point blank on whether or not he felt the team had deserved, has done enough to deserve um, the right with the deadline looming to see this run through. Um, and he said, you know, I don't make decisions. I'm not telling anybody what to do here. But, yeah, I want to see how far we can take this. And why wouldn't you? I mean, w- with the way the standings have started to shake out above them, with the performances they've put up over the last few months, and especially recently here, I mean, why wouldn't you? Uh, lots of great texts coming in, 650-650. This one unsigned. Horvat is the type of player you keep. He steps up his game in the playoffs. What more can you ask for? Uh, Jack in North Van says, Playoff Bo made an appearance last night. By no means is he a superstar or first-line setter, but when the going gets tough, he comes through in the clutch. Another one, unsigned one saying, hey, also, he's a great playoff performer. I hope people will lay off Horvat now. I do think we will look back at that slump and see it as much more closely related to the COVID absence than we did in the moment when it was happening, especially as Bo Horvat kind of gets back to the Horvat we're used to seeing. The other thing with Bo Horvat that I find really interesting is, you know, all of a sudden, he's only 26, but because he came in so early, he's played 558 NHL games. If I was... You know, in the Canucks front office, I would be very much looking to lock up Bo Horvat to a long-term extension this summer. We know he has the the uh, the one year left on his deal beyond this one. If he does sign another long-term contract extension of some sort here, and I think there's a very good chance for that to be, you know, a win-win deal, like a deal that gives Bo Horvat serious long-term uh, security for him and his family, and also is a win for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, Bo Horvat has a chance to really rocket up some of the kind of franchise leaderboards for the Canucks in terms of games played, goals, points, all of these things. And if, um, as a captain, and if this team is able to have any sort of playoff success over the next, you know, five, six, whatever years, like, Bo Horvat has a chance to really cement himself in a pretty impressive place in Canucks franchise history here. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that he kind of got his moment in the spotlight, although I, I did think it was interesting that JT Miller gave the uh, the championship belt to Brad Hunt after the game last night, which makes sense uh, when you see Hunt get his first uh, or get another goal for the Canucks. <laughs> I, I had a good exchange in the press box where someone said, no one is happier to score than Brad Hunt, and my response was, no one is happier to not score than Brad Hunt. <laughs> just happy. Just happy all the time. But, yeah, the, the, the trajectory of Bo Horvat's career and then, as you said, kind of being underrated for a lot of it and where it could go from here, I just find fascinating. And he had a fantastic performance helping the Canucks get those two points last night. Uh, Got to do a little plug here. As you may have heard, there's been one or two conversations about this on Sportsnet 650 recently. It is the NHL trade deadline on Monday, and we have very special extended local coverage coming up for you on Monday, March 21st. Halford and Bruff. 
They're going to be doing an extra hour, so they're going from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. as usual. You know it's a big deal if those guys are putting in an extra hour of work. Myself and Drance, three-hour edition of Canucks Hour. Canucks Hours. We're starting at 10. We're going all the way to 1. Some very special guests as well from 11 a.m. till noon. Yannick Hansen will be joining us live in studio to react to anything. That's the, the real do. house of positivity. When me and Yannick Hansen come together, <laughs> that's the real. That's when the real positivity starts. You won't want to miss it. Worlds if- colliding. Worlds colliding. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna predict that Yannick Hansen is a lot better than the market thinks. Uh, with him on the air. He's going to be fantastic, and then from noon to one, or at least from uh, from noon to twelve thirty, right after the deadline, uh, our very own Satyar Shah is going to be hopping on with us as well for and, a little. And Satyar Shah is going to be the face to our heel. That's right. By that's the way, right. Satyar, live reaction. Satyar is here to make sure that um, that uh, the team is covered with appropriate positivity. Yeah, live reaction uh, <laughs> as the deadline ends, and any of any of those you know last minute deals that trickle through, and then of course one to four, the people show you hear the Canucks. Uh, media availabilities from any new players that might be acquired as well. And from 4 to 7 on Canucks Central, we expect Canucks Brass to be a part of that show as well. So make sure you tune in all day on Monday for extended local trade deadline coverage. And that NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 lower mainland locations or online at K-I-N-T-E-C. More Canucks Hour coming up on the other side. It is Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Two-month run. You know, it's goaltending's so there was a tweet about goaltenders like you you pay a lot for a goaltender and they spend the season eating glue in the, in the net. They're just like eating, like consuming paste. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650 here on a practice day for the Vancouver Canucks. Wrapped up their practice a little bit ago here at Rogers Arena. Uh, myself, Jamie Dodd, and Thomas Drance. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drance, I think it tells you just how real this playoff race has become that... Uh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Elias Pettersson was back on the ice with the Vancouver Canucks today at practice. We had lots of questions about that coming in, 650-650. So, yeah, he was back, full participant. Uh, he started the practice skating between Niels Hoaglander and Alex Chason, just to get you caught up on what the rest of the lines looked like. Looked like. The uh, Pearson, Miller, and Garland unit stayed together. Pod Colson was skating with Horvat and Besser. It was Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Chase on that. Although of course, Hoaglander leaves with yeah. a lower body injury. And then, of course, the Mott Lamico Highmore line. Patan was the extra. As you said, Niels Hoaglander left practice with a lower body injury. Uh, the latest quote just uh, being conveyed by our own Brendan Batchelor from Bruce Boudreaux. On Niels Hoaglander, it's a lower body injury. He said it was just pretty sore, so I don't know if that means he's out tomorrow or he's not out tomorrow. It just happened, so we'll find out by morning, I assume. So not a lot of clarity there from Boudreaux on exactly what's going on with Niels Hoaglander, but uh, Nick Patan stepped up to fill that spot after he left practice. And so I think I think Jason Dickinson is getting to the point where we'll probably see him at a Canucks practice shortly, so some reinforcements coming. I think there's an outside shot, too, that... Brandon Sutter may at some point make an appearance at Canucks practice. He's skated about seven times at this juncture, beginning to push it. 
a, a little more. So fingers crossed. That would that be would fantastic. Be, for, that, just first and foremost for Brandon Sutter. For for human reasons, yes. you would love nothing more than to see Brandon Sutter even just take part in a Canucks practice. But the possibility of of getting back in, I mean, that would be just a tremendous journey for for a really good person who you know I, I think hasn't had an opportunity to have this whole city behind him at any point in his Canucks tenure, but they certainly are now. And if he can play a game for this team, first of all, be a huge help on the PK. Oh, yeah. But secondly, just it just he's he's a good, hard-working person, and you'd love to see him get back to doing his job. I think it would be great for Brandon Sutter. I think it would be a tremendous lift for the rest of the team no just question. to have him back around, being able to join them again. And as you said, you know, coming into this season, I was actually pretty excited because – you know, Brandon Sutter, for so long, the conversation was about first the trade to acquire him and then the contract extension. But as you saw him fitting into this team on a one-year, $1 million deal, he had a chance to really go out and kind of, okay, make the conversation about what he can do for the team on the ice, which is still significant for for a player like Brandon Sutter. Uh, and he didn't get that chance, unfortunately. So you hope, you fingers crossed, that he does get a chance to do it here in a Canucks uniform and that his progress to getting back and rejoining the team uh, continues as it has been recently. 650-650, keep your thoughts coming in. We talked a lot about Bo Horvat. Uh, that line in general the, with Niels Hoaglander and Brock Besser, I thought they did their job in a big way against the Devils last night. The Pearson-Miller-Garland line was fantastic, had a ton of shifts and a ton of zone time. Uh, in the offensive zone for the Canucks last night, and overall, I thought the, the yeah that that line was a machine. Yeah, that was a that was a really tremendous performance from Miller, Garland, and Pearson. In my view, uh, they could have had, I mean, JT Miller could have had four. JT Miller, the puck just seemed to find him all night. All it was night. just like yeah. glued to his stick, Incredible. basically all night. And Tanner Pearson gets rewarded with the goal on the that was better the than some pass of- from Tyler Myers. That was a better performance from from JT Miller than some of the games in which he's walked away with four points of of late. You know what I mean? Like that was that was maybe his best performance, even though what he gets one assist out of it, two assists. Well, I think he had three points still. Oh, did he? Yeah, because oh, <laughs> he picked up a couple secondary assists. Incredible. Well, he deserved <laughs> more. So yeah, fair enough. Um, the uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on because we talked about okay. They're, they're dealing with these teams that aren't in a playoff position that are coming in this week. Eastern Conference teams not in the playoff race, but that might pose matchup problems specifically for the Canucks, and that's the Devils. And then, of course, you've got Detroit here tomorrow and Buffalo on Sunday. And we were looking at that game against the Devils as sort of, okay, can they find a way to formulate a game plan that still gives them a chance for success and a chance to win those games and kind of neutralize some of the speed advantage that those teams have. Now, New Jersey, they still had their moments when you saw that speed show up in a big way, like the Jack Hughes goal where he burns past Tyler Myers. That's the most obvious example, but there were other moments too. The the OEL Myers pair had a tough night. OEL finishes the night sixth in ice time. I can't remember the game where he looked like he was hurt, but when you look at his... PK deployment and the fact that Quinn Hughes has played twice as much four on five as he has over the last 10 games and you look at his usage last night and you just watch him sort of struggle with pace in a way we didn't see earlier in the year that's a situation that bears monitoring particularly because if there's one area that this organization is particularly shallow it's on the left side of the defense I mean if Oliver Ekman Larson isn't able to play 20 minutes a night like who's matching up who's your matchup lefty yeah I mean it's Quinn but you know, it's it that's gets, not that's not how you want to use him. You you don't want him to be counted on to do all of that yeoman's work, right? So, you know, it, it pretty interesting dynamic to pay attention to down the stretch here. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I thought, you know, despite the fact that New Jersey 
had their moments where their speed really showed up, and they were able to generate a lot of chances. I did think especially early in that game that the Canucks were able to you know, assert control on the game. They kind of, they did that thing where, you know, you're playing fast, even though you don't, you have a foot speed deficit. And the other thing I did think was their four check was able to have success. Maybe not to the same level that we've seen against some of the slower teams, but there was a concern that, okay, against the mobility and the speed of New Jersey, this four check that has really become their identity, are they going to be able to keep it going against the devils? And I thought they were in large part, right? They were still able to get in, turn up, turn pucks over, turn it into zone time, turn it into scoring chances. And I really did think you saw kind of a, uh, an identity contrast between the two teams where the Canucks did a lot of their work off the four check on the cycle. And with the devils, it was, you know, a lot of off the rush using their speed to create those chances. But I do think there's something the Canucks kind of showed us that, okay, that identity we're building around our four check, we can do it even in, in games where it's not necessarily the ideal matchup. Now, having said that there were still moments where, you know, it made me a little nervous. Okay, should the defenseman have pitched that, uh, pinched in there, especially against uh, against this team? There were still moments where it looked a little shaky, but I did think they had a lot of moments of success on the forecheck as well last night. The Canucks forecheck to me was not decisive in that game. Like that, for, uh, just just I, I not to disagree with you, but no, no, I no do. but there's a difference between it being <laughs> no, but there's a difference between it being decisive and it being effective. And I still thought it was able to be effective. See, I, I thought what worked for the Canucks best was the aggressive pinching. It, it was more that when they had... It wasn't that they were able to disrupt the Devils' breakouts for me. It was that they were able to maintain possession. They were able to turn it into a half-court game. And for me, that was less about selling out on the forecheck because I don't I don't know that they were quite as aggressive as they have been of late. Um, it was more about actually being very conservative on the back end. One thing we didn't see as much from the Canucks as we're used to is the... High flippy, or just the, or just the sort of shoot it into yep. the neutral zone and, and hope you can win some battles and, and churn things the the right direction. Instead, we saw a, a guy staying low in the middle of the ice during breakouts, and it wasn't even like low, slow, and available. It was low, motionless, and available. They almost had a, a forward hang back right in front of the net to serve as a pressure release valve to neuter the New Jersey Devils forecheck. And I thought for 15 minutes. To start the game, they got a good start, obviously. For 15 minutes to start the game, they effectively turned the game into a half-court yep. battle. And then for the 15 minutes thereafter, I thought the Devils started to find some seams, 100%. started to get behind the D, and then I think, I mean, Bo Horvat sort of called game. And here's what I really liked about Vancouver's performance against New Jersey, because I don't think it was a great performance overall, a great result, but the thing I loved about what Vancouver did was they get that back-breaking goal, and you could just see in the building, you could feel it. Everyone on the Devils sags, like, oh, we're losing tonight. Like, oh, that shouldn't have gone in. And the Canucks press the advantage immediately. It wasn't too different for me from what they did to Dan Vladar after Jacob Markstrom's skate injury, where there was this awareness, this ruthlessness to the way the Canucks conducted themselves. They came in with intent, great slap pass by Myers, and there, there you go. You have the game winner moments, moments after the Dawes bad goal and then and then he's chased and, and that's it. Like that's the game. I mean the Devils fought back, Bo Horvat scores the shorty, you know, Bo Horvat steps up when this team needs it. Rinse and repeat, that that's always what happens. <laughs> but 
I loved the ruthlessness to press the advantage right after that Bo Horvat goal, to know how the team was feeling and to get that play. A great play by Myers, who otherwise I thought I think that pair had a really tough game. They did, yeah. And it wasn't just the, the Jack Hughes goal where obviously Jack Hughes just leaves him in the dust to get the breakaway and score. Overall, I, I agree with you. They did have a tough game, but that was a nice moment. <laughs> That's a nice moment from Tyler Myers. And I just love – that was like the perfect Tanner Pearson goal, too, where it's just – Go to the net hard with your yeah, stick, stick on the ice. Yeah, exactly. It, it was so, so beautiful. He's having a, he's having a nice little redemption arc to him too. He 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 ate a lot of criticism early in the year. He's having a very good season. He's having a very good season. And and he's a very good player. The thing I love about Tanner Pearson is, I think you could you can he seems like the type of player you can play with almost anyone, right? Like he knows how to play except with, Patterson. Yeah, that's fair. For for whatever reason, I don't like that. But but he can definitely play with Miller and and Bo Horvat. Definitely, really we know he can play with Bo Horvat. Yeah. We've seen it with JT Miller. It's just he he knows how to adapt his game to what those other guys are doing, and he knows how to play with extremely highly skilled players like JT Miller. Right? It's get them the puck and go to the net, and good things are going to happen. And I, yeah, I've I've been really happy to see some of the recognition that uh, Tanner Pearson has been getting because I, I think you probably remember when we started this show, Drancer, back in the fall. Like one of the most common texts is why why is Tanner Pearson in the top six? Why is Tanner Pearson in the top six? And I think he's showing uh, why he can earn a top six spot on this team with a lot of his play of late. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, 650-650, get your thoughts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And I know this was a big talking point on the post-game show last night as well, is concern about Thatcher Demko's workload down the stretch. Now, he got the day off from practice today. Bruce Boudreaux told us last night that was going to be the case, said don't worry, it's not an injury or anything, it's just a chance to get him some rest. They're going to have to get creative and find ways to get him rest, but... They're also going to have to play a backup goalie at some point, right? Like, you're not going to give Thatcher Demko the remaining 21 starts here down the stretch. You need to find those days off for him, too. I, I liked, so Farhan Lalji today, um, when we were chatting on the VanCast earlier, suggested to me that he thinks you should go to Halak tomorrow against the Red Wings. He says, you go to Halak tomorrow and you go to him against Buffalo and you play Demko against the one really good team that you're facing over the next three days. You give Halak a chance to play two games, build up his value maybe a little, uh, build a, build his confidence back up, and you get to a point where between now and Wednesday of next week, Thatcher Demko one will game. play one game. I like it. I'm, I'm completely on board with what I'm dubbing the Farhan plan. I think that is, <laughs> I think that is uh, exactly what the Canucks should do. I don't think that's what they will do. Demko got the the practice off today. Yeah. I think that removes any suspense He's about going who's the tomorrow. starter tomorrow. He's going in tomorrow. Uh, and they do need every point, especially with the gauntlet that's coming up on that road trip, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a real chance that the Canucks get two of the next three or even all three, run the table at home, and then go out on the road and return, you know, not quite. Not quite as in the thick of the playoff race as they look today. That road trip is brutal. Brutal, right? You you go back-to-backs in Minnesota and Colorado. Dallas, in Dallas. That's going to be a really key game for this team. And then St. Louis in St. Louis. Rough. That is a rough stretch of games. And the Canucks kind of kind of need at least five points from it. Uh, unless they run the table here, then I think you can get away with four. Well, and the, the thing is, it's not its not even like the, the Florida and Carolina trip where it's a gauntlet, but at least they're out of conference opponents. Those are a lot of, like, that's Dallas, that's Vegas. Those are teams you, you're chasing and you need to beat yeah. and you need to get results. So they're, they're extremely high-pressure games as well. I have been looking at it, and I know this was floated last night as well, but, okay, 
Demko's going to start tomorrow. We know that. I, I hear what you're saying about giving Halak two games, but I just I, I don't see any way they're, they're going to explore that kind of thing when they know they, how much they rely on Demko and how much they need every point uh, for, you know, for the foreseeable future, for the rest of the season here. I do think there's a case to be made for starting Halak on Saturday against Calgary and then saving Demko for Sunday against Buffalo, basically doing what John Cooper did with his goalies on the back-to-back that we just saw, where you save your better goalie for the end, the back half of the back-to-back and basically hope that he can give you, a, he can give your tired team a boost, he can give you a lift and get two points in that game. Now, the problem with that is, are you essentially punting on that Calgary game by rolling out Yarrow Halak there against a very, very good yeah, team? Yeah, no, you can't do that. You got you, you play you play Halak versus Buffalo, I think. Oh man, I don't know though. the The concern there though is that if you don't get the result against Calgary, are you going to feel comfortable starting Halak? It'll be his first start in a long time on the back half of back to back, knowing that hey, we just dropped two points against Calgary. We need to find a way to turn this into a result for us. I don't know. I, I think there. I, I I think the way it will go is they'll start Demko against Calgary because it's a big game against a good team on Saturday night, and just the kind of by the book way you do it is start your starter in the first half of back to back and play your backup on the second one. But I do think there's a case to be made for giving Halak the Calgary game and saving Demko for the Buffalo game on Sunday. Oh, doing the color. Uh, the you want to you want them to do the, the Tampa Bay Cooper. Lightning. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, I'm also curious to see how the Calgary Flames approach their back-to-back because when Calgary comes in here on Saturday evening, they will be playing their second leg of a back-to-back game. And while you'd expect them to go starter backup, backup. Markstrom in Vancouver, you don't yes. think he wants that game? You don't think he's going to have some say there? Especially, Especially how, the given how it happened one? last time. I, think, I, bet, I would bet. And I got it wrong last week with Vasilevsky, so I'm going to double down. I would bet I would bet that the Canucks see Markstrom on Saturday. Uh, lots of texts coming in on this. One says, first, just can't trust Halak during these meaningful games. Clayton texts in, can't they just bring up Spencer Martin? You can have three goalies on the team. Another one saying they should bring back You can't uh, do that Spencer. if you want Halak to work with you on the deadline, though, at the deadline. That's the thing. Like, and you, need to, you need to be cooperative in your approach here for, for another few days. It, it's... It makes a ton of sense on paper, but as you said, the relationship between Halak and the team is of utmost importance right now. Yep. I mean, that's another argument, frankly, for Farhan's plan, right? Which is, you can almost uh, kind of demonstrate good faith with Yara Halak by getting him in. And can you and can you remind the league that, hey, he was pretty good before those two starts. Yeah, he's actually a pretty decent goalie. Uh, this one says, unsigned, play Halak against Colorado uh, and then give Demko every game uh, against a team where you have a better chance to take the points. This one also says, no Farhan plan. I've got tickets to Detroit, and I don't want to see Halak in net, LOL. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough uh, in that one. But I don't know. The, the Demko workload thing is going to be really, really interesting to monitor because it's one thing to say, oh, well, hey, just give him the day off practice. No big deal. That counts as a day off. But, I mean, we also know, like, Ian Clark likes to – Work with his goalies on their day on on practice days. Make sure they're taking care of their details. Kind of give them some of those refreshers. So I think there's a really difficult balance to be struck by Boudreau and the coaching staff. Where yeah, you know you have to ride Demko. You know he's your workhorse, your elite goalie, your MVP, all of that. Yes, you want to give him those days off. The, the balance to be struck between rest and giving him a chance to keep working on his game, though, I think it's a very delicate one that they're going to have to monitor here. Uh, it for sure it is, especially because, especially because 
Demko's save percentage the last few games, right? Like this team is winning right now on their offense, yep. As opposed to anything else, they're they're winning by being extremely efficient with their conversion rate, and because their special teams have stabilized significantly. Like the PK has been really good of late, uh, which is great to see. This team needs it, um, but they need they're going to need Demko to be their difference maker. They're going to need him to be their difference maker, and it gets really hard to do once you're in game fifty five, game sixty. Um, and in Demko's case, right, I mean, you could realistically see him with where he's at now. He's about to play his 50th game played uh, over the, you know, during over the course of this week. Like you could easily see him get to 60, 65 games. And, and that's a lot like that's an old school amount of games to play at this point for Demko. I do think the club has to be very deliberate, uh, very careful about where their feet fall in regards to Demko's it's, usage. It's a big jump for Demko as well, right? We talked about this, yeah. I think, last week on the show. What was his previous record? 47. 46, right? So you're oh, talking... Right. 46, you're right. You're talking about a significant leap in the workload he's handled, and, you know, the schedule doesn't necessarily do the Canucks a lot of favors, right? Because they have this back-to-back, then they're, you know, they have a few days off, but then it's another on-the-road back-to-back with Colorado in Minnesota. They've still got a bunch of those back-to-back situations. I think four more sets of them uh, five more actually remaining on the schedule, including to finish off the season back to back against LA and Edmonton. So you need to find a solution that isn't just start Thatcher Demko every game, right? Like whether it's you met, you're able to move out Halak and then you bring Spencer Martin up after the deadline, whether you you restore your confidence and your faith in Yaro Halak and you keep him and you use him as a normal backup, whatever it is, they have to find a solution that isn't just, okay, Demko, you're a guy and you're going to play every game from here on out. Because as you said, they're not, you're already not seeing the same typical Thatcher Demko results uh, that we got used to early in the season when he was just so lights out. And, and for most of the season, let's be perfectly honest mm-hmm. here. Uh, he's been incredible. Um, all right. That is going to do it for us. We will be back tomorrow on another Canucks game day. As somebody texted in, the Troy Stetcher revenge game. Yeah, it's the Detroit Red Wings coming to town tomorrow on Thursday at Rogers Arena. Lots more coming up on the station today. The People Show with myself and Bick Nazar is up next. We will interview Troy Stetcher, talk oh, wow. about his return Always a good to chat. Vancouver. Always, Always a good, good chat, chat and, with Troy Stetcher. And that Detroit Red Wings defense, pretty pretty quick. Mo Sider. Mo Sider. He's, I'm, uh, he's excellent. Very excited to see uh, the Mo Sider experience. Well, here and you in need Vancouver. to see uh, you need to see it live, right? Because it's the details in his game. So uh, you know it'll be it'll be interesting. I I got the pleasure of watching him in October. Uh, I bet he's a totally different player now, just like Jack Hughes is a totally different player from the last time I saw him live. What a performance by Quinn's brother last night. We will be back tomorrow to tee it all up. It is the the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty.